0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. So you might be wondering why this series, The New Rules for Love, Sex and Dating, and the why is very simple, uh, we did a survey maybe four or five months ago, and on the Sunday that we surveyed our church asking big questions uh, about your engagement here, one of the things we found out was that close to 50% of our community on a given Sunday is single or single again or a widow or widower. But whenever I talk about relationships, and I try to talk relationships about once a year because, quite honestly, relationships, specifically marriage and dating, some of these are, are kind of core it's the one place where we're known more than maybe anywhere else but when i talk about relationships i almost always talk to married people and then i hope that single people will be able to translate because let's be honest single people you're highly intelligent and i know you can but i thought this time i, I want to talk to singles and i'm hoping that our married people will translate And here's the thing, married couples, this series, you might be thinking, oh, man, I can take a step out. No, this series could be so impactful for you, married folks. But single folks, I want to talk to you because I'm sharing some things that have been percolating in my brain since I was a single guy. I was into my mid twenties before my wife and I met. In fact, I took three years where I was completely single, no dating, uh, from about 21 until 24 when all of my friends, it seemed like, were getting into serious relationships and, uh, getting engaged and getting married and they were all going on dates and I was sitting at home, you know, having dinner for one. And, um, and so I know what that's like and I was just percolating on these ideas and, And reading the pages of the Bible, seeing that God has some really big things to say uh, to singles about singleness, and then I read a book with the same title, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating, and it's confirmed some things. And so if part of what I say today inspires you and you want to know more, you can pick up that book on Amazon. But I want to be very clear, single people, from the very beginning. My goal is not to get you unsingle. Okay? Okay. Marriage is not the goal in life. I want to be as clear as I can. In fact, there's this dude that we sing about and sing to every week. His name was Jesus, and he was single. So if you want like, hey, what's a good model for a life? Jesus, pretty good. Pretty good. There's this guy, Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament. And and I'm pretty sure, as I I study kind of the background of first century culture, he was married, and then my guess is probably a widower. Or when he had this radical transition to follow Jesus, his wife left somewhere in there. But in his life, he was single, and he has a lot to say about it. Singleness—in fact, Paul says, I wish, singles, that you could like—you could remain as I am. Singleness is great. Singleness is great. That being said— if you're single and you ever want to be unsingle, if you're single again and you think I I'm interested in in going back into the market, this market, uh we're not going shopping. Um into the into the, the world of relational whatever. Um this series is for you. If and I want to be really clear, uh single women, and men uh, of all ages. If you are a serial dater, this series is not for you, okay? I'm not talking about the best ways to be a serial dater, Uh, but if you decide at some point, like the words of 90s hip-hop artist Big Pun, I don't want to be a playa no more, if you decide that's you and you want to get serious about dating, I hope you remember this series. And listen, this series will be around as long as there isn't internet, and we're keeping our fingers crossed for that. So, um, too soon. All right. All right. Um, Let me recap where we've been. We started this last week. Last week, uh, I tried to debunk a myth that is the most prevalent myth in marriage. So I'm capping it with two big myths. First week, I tried to unpack probably the most prevalent myth about singleness and happiness in marriage. And on the last week, I'm going to debunk probably the most popular myth about what it looks like to have a happy marriage while you're in marriage. And in between, we're going to talk about some different pieces. But that first thing I wanted to talk about last week was the myth that if I can just find the right person, everything will be all right. If I can just find the right person, everything will be all right. And you're sitting next to married people who thought that was true. If they could just find the right person, everything would be all right. The problem was the person that they found was thinking the exact same thing. And I said last week, I've never met a couple with marriage problems, but I've met plenty of couples Uh, who are single people, who have single people problems, and then they get into marriage and their single people problems follow them into their marriage because you will bring who you are into every relationship that you are in. Because all of us has an invisible bungee cord from our backs— to our past. And it's kind of like this big thing of baggage that we walk away from our past thinking we can leave it behind, but eventually the tension gets so tight and the bungee cord gets so tight that our past flies up into our present and impacts our future. And so you are able to hold it for a while because of chemistry. And remember, chemistry is that, ooh, ah, where she can't keep her eyes off him and he can't keep his hands off her. That's chemistry. But eventually chemistry faded because you brought you into your relationship. And here's the reality. Great relationships are not built by finding the right person. That's called a fairy tale. Fairy tales like Snow White. Remember I said this last week where she her parents have both died. She's got this horrible, cruel stepmother who tries to—hires a hitman to have her murdered. Runs her off into the forest. It's horrible. He tries to kill her with an axe. She, she gets into this weird relationship with seven dudes living in a house with them, really awkward. A witch comes. She dabbles in the occult with this, like, ooh, apple. Like, Ouija. It's creepy, creepy. She passes out, falls into a coma. Some guy walks by, and he thinks, there's a woman in a coma. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make out with her. Okay, if, if you're ever, ew, ew. And she wakes up, and she thinks, be still my heart. Prince Charming has arrived. Friends, that is not real life. That's a fairy tale, That's a, and that is creepy. No, the truth is great relationships, great relationships are built not by finding the right person, but by becoming the right person. And I left us with a question last week: Are you becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you becoming the person, not searching? And I said this; it was a big statement. And some of you uh, who who are like have real like strong uh, Christian roots, traditional roots, might have like pulled back. I said this last week: Don't even pray for the right person. Pray that God makes you the right person, because how sad if you spent all your time praying for the right person, and God brought the right person along, and you weren't the person they were looking for, and they walked right by. So before we spend every night writing lists about the right person and praying for the right person, what if we ask God, help me become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? And this guy, Paul, wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians, it's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And he talks about what it looks like to become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Certain characteristics and attributes, things like patience, humility, uh, things like allowing the other person to shine, things like care, compassion, comfort. This is what it looks like to become the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. And I left you with a little homework last week to take that little half sheet home, put it somewhere where you would see it before you went on a date, before you got ready, before you saw your spouse if you're married, where it says love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. And then ask God, God, would you make me this kind of person? God, would you help me become this kind of person? Now this guy, Paul, ends that love chapter with this really interesting phrase. Remember, he's talking about love, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He ends by talking about, here's everything love is. Then he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And remember, this is all in the context of love. But when I became a man or an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And the paradox is that if we want to find happily ever after, then we need to put our childhood pictures of romance aside and work on the adult, like, deep, hard stuff of becoming the kind of person that the person that we're looking for is looking for. If you're married, are you, are you currently becoming more and more of the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Today, I want to talk specifically to dudes, to guys, to fellas, to my homies. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what it looks like to grow up in the way that we view and treat women. Now, some of the women were like, mm, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, do it, do it. Okay, ladies, listen, elbows in, elbows in. There's no need, okay? Guys. Guys, I, I want this for you. Single guys, let me tell you. The things that I'm going to talk about. Single guys, come on, lean in. Look up here. I can see you. Lean in. Single guys, this is the thing. That, I see you. This is the thing that will help you, that will help you rise above all other men when it comes to dating. This will be the thing that helps you rise up above guys who make more money than you, guys who drive better cars than you, guys who have hair, Okay? This is, like, this, this is the thing. Fellas, single fellas, this is for you. This is not, like, no, I'm trying to help you. This is the thing that will have all your friends saying, she is so far out of your league. How did that happen? It wasn't the car. You you don't even have to be overly attractive. No, 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 no. This is the thing. I'm telling you, this is the thing, guys. You are, you're incredibly handsome, by the way. I just want to be clear. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) But it's not about that. Because the looks, they'll fade. I'm telling you, this is the thing that will make you rise up. It's how you understand the relationship between men and women and how we interact, I've titled this message, Gentleman's Club. Gentleman's Club. So good. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and you might be wondering, why are you talking to men and not talking to women? I'll talk to women too. I want to bring you in. Women, because you have a part to play in this process as well. Okay, you need to listen to this because you deserve a guy like this. And you need to listen to this because it is, it is, it is your sacred privilege to demand To be treated well. So we all have a part to play. But the reason I'm talking to guys is because, guys, we have a challenge. And here's the challenge. Women in our wider culture are viewed, are presented, are talked about, are sung about like a commodity. Do you know what a commodity is? A commodity is something that you don't have any personal attachment to, That you can trade or sell or negotiate until something better comes along, at which point you can trade the commodity away. Isn't it true that there are wider culture? Music and, and television, politics, sports, sadly, the church. It's coming out more and more that women are viewed as a commodity. What's the dominant narrative in music these days? Absorb me with your eyes. Take me with your hands. Use me and then discard me. And this used to just happen in pockets of the world. But I'm telling you, it's become become bigger. And I want to talk about a first century picture. The first time that we were ever introduced to the idea of a gentleman's club of men responding to women in a way that is healthy and honest and right and appropriate. And it came at maybe the low point of gender relations. It was first century Rome. And in the Greco-Roman world, the Greek and the Roman world, women were literally viewed as property, as commodities— Upper-class, wealthy Roman men did not want to get married because why Why be tied down to a wife when prostitution in the first century was not only accepted, but it was actually championed as a good form of birth control. You don't want to have more dependents at home who you have to divide your estate among. So don't have sexual relations with your wife. I told you you could have your kids leave. Don't have sexual relations with your wife. Go to a prostitute, have sex with her, make her deal with the baby. It was an all-time low. Wealthy, the wealthier you were in the Greek and Roman world, the more slaves you owned. Female slaves were property. Have sex with them, beat them, trade them, sell them, discard them. It is of no consequence to me. It became so bad in the second and third century that the Roman Senate actually thought about mandating marriage for upper-class Roman citizens forcing them. You must get married. Because here's what Roman men thought. Why get married? I can, I can go out with my buddies. I can sleep with a prostitute. My wife, man, she's just, she's, she nags me, and she's, oh, she's, oh, we don't want that. I don't need that. If we have kids, then I have to give my estate up. Instead, I'll just go out with the guys. I'll sleep with whoever I want to. And then when I get old— I'll have one of my male servants, who's kind of the most trusted servant, I'll give him my land and my property, and he can take it and do with it what he pleases. This was the ancient world. And right into the ancient world, Jesus speaks. And he said something that was later picked up on by two of his followers, a guy named Peter, arguably his closest friend, and a guy named Paul, who picked up on the teachings of Jesus and got laser focused about what it looks like in gender relationships. But right into the middle of it, Jesus speaks. And you're going to hear what Jesus says. And because we're 2,000 years removed from it, and because you've probably heard it before, you'll think, well, of course, that's the way that we're supposed to relate to each other. But I'm telling you, in the first century, this was unthinkable. Unthinkable. Now, I spent a whole series talking about this but I'm, this passage, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm telling you, it is the key ethic. It was a new ethic that the rest of these teachers talk about. It comes from John chapter 13, where Jesus says this, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Love one another. And this type of love was specifically a love that puts your needs first, even if it cost me. And Jesus' followers would say, even women, Lord? Yeah, even women. But they're women. Jesus, I know. He's. I, I'm not done yet. Look it. Love one another as I have loved you. How did I love you? I gave myself for you. I lifted your status. I made you an equal. As I have loved you, love one another by this. The way you love one another— everyone will know that you are my, it's a big kind of a stained glass word, disciples. It means followers. By this, everyone will know that you're a follower of mine if you love one another. Now, this was a huge deal. This is part of why in the first century, Christianity spread like wildfire and was so popular among women. Because women in these little Christian gatherings had such an elevated status, so much more than the surrounding communities. In the surrounding communities, women were were little more than property. In these Jesus gatherings, women were equal. And so women were flocking to these Jesus movements because they were experiencing equality because of Jesus' new ethic. Love one another as I have loved you. And then this guy, Paul—I'm just going to touch on this briefly because our last— message of the series is going to hit on this big. Paul picked up on this idea. Now, Paul hated Jesus followers, hated Christians. In fact, he went to these little communities and he tried to squash them out until one day he, he met Jesus in a very powerful, real way. And he did a 180. It changed his life. I don't know about you, but my hope for you is that somewhere in your life, you meet Jesus like in a very profound and powerful way. And it reorients the way you think, which will reorient the things you say and the things you do to walk in a different direction. Because it's not always easier, but I'm telling you, following Jesus is always the best thing for you, for our community, and for the thriving of our world. So Paul, he picks up on this idea of loving one another, and he talks about it specifically in the context of marriage. And single guys, I know, you're thinking, I'm not married that's okay. This is what you're practicing for. When you go out on a date, all you're doing is practicing for the day you are married. Paul says this, husbands—all right, husbands, this is—you don't get out, okay—love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But I thought the point of dating was to get something from her No, no, no. The point of dating and marriage is to give something to her, not to get from her. Women, what's the point of dating and marriage? It's not to get something from him. It is to give to him. Love your wives as Christ. Love the church. Peter. I love Peter. Peter was Jesus' best friend. Best friend. Big mouth. Always talking. I love Peter. Peter. He loved a monologue. Oh my gosh, the guy. And he got it right about 70% of the time. 30% of the time he was just off to the point where Jesus had to be like, dude, you're speaking for the devil right now. Get behind me. How'd you like that from Jesus? But Peter, he gets it right here. Okay, this is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He picks up on this and he lasers in on the same idea. Husbands— fellas, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. And you might be sitting here wondering, why would he have to say that? Because in the, in the city that he wrote to, women were not treated with respect. And this word respect has a very specific meaning. In the original language, it has the idea of honor. Give her honor. Think about the most honorable person you know. Just picture that person in your mind. This is, this is where you have to actually go with me. Think about this person. Picture her or him in your mind, the most honorable person you know. You can picture me if you want to. That's nice. <laughs> okay. Now, husbands, treat your wives with that level of honor. What would you do if that person that you honor the most in the world, that you just, you ascribe incredible value and honor to them, what would you do if they walked into a room? Husbands, do that for your wife. Yeah, but my wife isn't honorable. Kevin, you don't know my wife. Do it anyway. Remember, Jesus says, as I have loved you. Peter got this idea because in Jesus' biggest time of need, when he was betrayed by his friends, when he was beaten to an inch of his life, when he was ultimately hung on a cross, crucified, he looked around to see where his friends were, and Peter had denied Jesus. I don't know him. I don't want anything to do with him. In fact, this 13-year-old girl comes up and says, you're one of his followers. He's like, no, I'm not one of his followers. She says, yeah, you're one of his followers. He says, no, I'm not. I, I'm not one of his followers. A third time, they're sitting around a fire, and this little teenage girl you're one of his followers. He says, I swear I'm not one of his followers, which lets you know there's nothing more terrifying than a teenage girl (laughs) because Peter was terrified. That is so inappropriate. so wrong. But a funny joke every time. But he denied Jesus. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus saw him out on a boat after Jesus rose from the dead. And you might be thinking, rose from the dead? Yeah, rose from the dead. In fact, over 500 people saw him alive. It's one of the most well-documented miracles in the history of the world. Jesus saw him in a boat. He said, Peter, come on in here. Come on. Peter, I still love you. Peter, I still respect you. Peter, I'm still going to ascribe to you authority to lead the church. If you come from a Catholic background, Peter became the first pope. This is a big deal. So Peter gets it, and he says, the question is not, does your husband deserve your honor? Does your wife deserve your honor? Does that person you're dating deserve your honor? The question is not, do they deserve it? The question is, are you becoming the kind of person who honors others? Treat her with honor. He goes on to say, as the weaker partner, before you start throwing things, Weaker only means that your husband can probably beat you in an arm wrestling contest unless you do CrossFit and then it's anybody's (laughs) game, honestly. Like, I've seen you CrossFit, like, boop. That's all he means there. Okay, moving on. Give her honor as an heir with you to the gracious gift of life. Peter's saying to guys, guys, When you look at your wife, when you look at your girlfriend, guys, when you look at all women, you're looking at someone who God deemed worthy to make in his image. You're looking at an equal who is an heir to eternal life with God. That's a huge deal. He's saying, guys, listen, when you take a woman out on a date, you're taking out an heir, a, a child of God, a daughter of God. You're taking out the boss's daughter. You know, I, I remember, um, I remember going on a date uh, when I was my first homecoming in high school. Freshman year, invited this girl to homecoming, Erin Huggins. What a great last name. Erin Huggins. Invited her to homecoming, and she says, you have to ask my dad. She was the oldest of three girls. So I go down to her house, and I ask her dad, and he was so excited about this. He was literally cleaning his gun. (laughs) gun. I said, "Uh, Mr. Huggins, can I take your daughter to homecoming? And he points to two baseball gloves, and like a football, and something else. And he was like, pick one. So I picked the baseball glove. We went outside with me. He started throwing the ball with me. He said, I just want to make sure you're athletic enough to take my daughter on a date. <laughs> After that, my arm was all sore. <laughs> but here's what he was saying. Now, he, what a goofball, right? Like, what a goofball. But here's what he was saying. This is my daughter. Look in my eyes before you take my daughter to a dance. Let me tell you, there was no future with his daughter. Okay, that didn't, we, one date and done. Um, because I was terrified of her dead. But how, how much more is it with God? Single guys, think about this. When you take a woman out on a date, just picture God saying to you, take her out, have fun, bring her back on time. I'll be up in heaven, shining my lightning bolt. Just get ready. like <laughs> Get ready. Just be aware. This is a big deal, Guys, This is a big deal. It's such a big deal that Peter goes on to say this, treat them as heirs so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wait a minute, Peter. Are you telling me that if I don't treat my wife with honor, if I don't treat women with honor, God might not answer my prayers? It might distance me from my heavenly father. I thought my relationship with God was like this. You're telling me that the way I treat women impacts my relationship with my heavenly father? Peter says, absolutely, it does. 100% it does. Yes, it does. Women, the same is true for you the way you talk about your husbands, the way you talk about your boyfriends, the way you talk about men in general. Listen, men, I, I gotta be, uh, women, listen to me. The husbands you see on sitcoms are not real men. And if you've been indoctrinated to think that, you're, that husbands are like these bumbling, goofy Homer Simpson guys, they're not. They matter. They're worthy of honor and respect. Women, you should be clapping for your husbands right now. Come on, give them some honor. I don't want anything to hinder your prayers. So what do we do? Let's wrap this up. Now, this is, is going to be fun. Next steps. Renew your minds to think differently. Guys, we listen to music. We watch shows, and it indoctrinates us. Guys, I want you to do something for me when you get home today. If you have any, any songs on your playlist that refer to women— As whores or bitches, delete it before the sun goes down. Guys and gals, listen, I know know Netflix has some great series. Good storylines, really fun. If women are objectified in the shows you're watching, stop watching. I can't tell you the number, probably at least three different Netflix series I've turned off not because they didn't have great storylines. It was like, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to be on the throne in the next game? Like, who, what? <laughs> or whatever series, or whatever series. Oh, <laughs> now you're meddling, okay? <laughs> it's, a, it, it's indoctrinating us to think that women are commodities, and it will impact the way you treat women. Women, it will impact the way that you view yourselves and the way you expect to be treated. Here's something that is just totally true. Every time one group throughout the history of the world dehumanizes another group, disaster follows. Think about the Rwandan genocide. The Hutus said the Tutsis were cockroaches. Cockroaches, not people. Cockroaches. We must squash the cockroaches. 800,000 people died. Nazi Germany, Jewish women were called whores. Jewish men were called rats. They're not people. They're whores and rats. Whores and rats. And Holocaust followed. The United States, the way that we talked about Native Americans, the way we talked about slaves, allowed us to dehumanize people. Tragedy follows. Almost every time a minority group tries to rise up and experience equality in our country, we do some level of this, and it always only hurts. And the same is true with the songs we listen to and the movies we watch. Uh, listen, come on. I'm not, I'm not some like prudish dude up here, okay? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Get rid of it. Let's talk about erotic images. I was like, I'm not going to talk about this. this. Come on, we really need to talk about this. And then I started doing some research. Reading, Not pictures just to clarify. Oh, got really quiet. <laughs> one out of four internet clicks is to an erotic image site. One out of four. 60% of men view erotic images at least one time a week. For women, I think it's something like 30, 20 to 30%, much higher than I thought it would be Men, I kind of thought that—and there are two groups of men. I want to talk to you really quickly. Two groups of men. And I'm talking Christian men, men outside of the Christian world. The first group is men who are addicted to images and cannot overcome it. If that's you, I want you to know I can empathize with you. In my late teens and in my early 20s, I was addicted to erotic imagery. I would spend multiple two, three hours a day on the internet looking at erotic images— And I broke that addiction by God's grace before I met my wife, praise God. But if that's you, on Wednesday, I'm gonna go Facebook Live. You don't have to click on. You don't have to tell me you're there. I'm gonna go Facebook Live, share a little bit of my story and tell you how I broke free from that addiction. And then when you're by yourself, you can watch it, women or men. Share it with your kids. Have the conversation that I wish someone would have had with me. Because when I went to a pastor and said I'm addicted to pornography and erotic images, he said, I'll pray for you. Stop doing it. It wasn't at New Life, by the way. I want to be clear. (laughs) I'll pray for you. Stop doing it. And you know what? That wasn't enough. The second group of guys is, is a group where we think it's no big deal. It's a pastime. It's something I do. It's a release. It's not a pastime. It's a pathway to objectifying women. It's not a pastime. You're going to school. Every time you look at erotic images, you're going to school. And here's what school is telling you. School is telling you, a real body isn't enough. One body isn't enough. And my wife's body isn't enough. Some of you married men are thinking, oh, that explains a lot. That's why I have a hard time being intimate with my wife because I've been going to school for years and it's told me that a real body isn't enough. One body isn't enough, and my wife's body isn't enough. I've been educated in something that, that I bought into. I didn't even know it, I bought into it. So of you women right now who are married are thinking, that explains a lot. Listen, non-Christian research has come out recently, because Christians for years have said, don't do it, it's not a pastime, it's a pathway. Don't do it, don't do it. Research has come out recently that said the pornography It becomes like an addictive drug. And it deadens you on the inside to actual real intimacy with a human being. So guys, and women, but guys, let me talk to you. If you're here and you think, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's a pastime. It's a release. I want you to do something for me. Be man enough to take your girlfriend or take your wife out to dinner this week. And here's what I want you to say to her. I want you to say, baby, I love you. Always start with baby. Baby, <laughs> I love you. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Baby. I call my wife babe. Is that bad? That's not, is that, you'll tell me later. Tell me later. I call her babe. Um, babe, I love you. But I need to be honest with you because I love you so much, babe. A real body will never be enough for me. One body, look at me, babe. One body, will never be enough for me. Honey, let me tell you something. Your body will never be enough for me. And then say, I love you. Can you sign on for that? See what she says. Oh, it got quiet. Okay, let's go on. Wednesday. I'll go Facebook Live at some point during the afternoon. uh, Watch it. Share it. It's a story that has to be told. I don't mind. This is my story. Praise God. It took years, hard-fought years, to break free from an addiction because it's an addiction. And if you're single, and listen, if you're single and you think, well, when I get married, I'll just stop, you won't. You'll be addicted. And it will impact your marriage. Single guys, the best thing you can do for your future marriage is unenroll from this school. Unenroll. Do it now. Do it today. Do it because God loves you and wants so much better for your future. Okay, next steps. Make up your mind to behave differently. Guys, we got to just start acting differently. We got to act like the men we want to be. For example, guys, stop admiring her shoes when she walks by. Here's what I mean by that you see a woman, you look at her shoes. You look back and say, mm hmm, those are some nice shoes. Those are, mm, I like those shoes. I'm a fine connoisseur of fine shoes and those shoes are looking fine. Stop admiring her shoes. She has very pretty eyes. Look at them instead. Okay. Be be a gentleman. Free up a seat, open a door. By the way, I, I do this for all people men, women. It's just good practice in honoring. This is not a 50s kind of archetype, whatever. Free up a seat, open a door. Show respect, show honor. And then finally, be man enough to let her open the door for you. Come on. Let her buy dinner. In fact, ladies, buy dinner, please, every once in a while. Buy dinner. Buy dinner. Take him to Wendy's. Buy dinner. Buy dinner. Hey, baby, this one's on me. Buy dinner. Buy dinner. Buy dinner. dinner. Okay. Guys, guys. Guys. This means that we treat all women as daughters of God, as heirs, equals. That means we we stop looking at women like objects and start looking at them as like people. Even the women who you don't ever want to date. Even the women uh, who keep texting you and and aren't getting the hint that you don't want to go out again. Even the women who you think dresses in a way that invites objectification. Fellas, look at me for a second. How much—oh man, okay, I'm just gonna—I'm gonna try to end here. Fellas, look at me for a second. Um, I don't know about you, men, but personally, I—and I'm not mandating this for everyone, but personally, I—I only wear my stretch pants when I'm exercising and sitting on the sofa. that's, That's when I wear them. Now, men, you might like to wear your stretch pants when you drop your kids off at school, get your flat white latte. That's fine. I'm not telling you you shouldn't But for me, I only wear my stretch pants, the ones that say juicy, I only wear my stretch pants (laughs) when I'm exercising or or sitting on the sofa. This is when I wear my stretch pants. But men, you know what it's like when women look at us certain ways. If I decided to wear my stretch pants to drop my kids off at school, does that give women the right to stare at my derriere? No. No. Right, guys? I'm not a piece of man meat. I am a human being. Women shouldn't be staring at me even if I'm wearing stretch pants. Well, guys, if we don't want women to treat us like pieces of meat, we shouldn't treat them that way. Even if, we think, even if we think they are inviting that. First of all, they're not. They don't think like we do. They just don't think like we do. Second of all, stop admiring our shoes. Okay. Last, some of you, single guys, some of you need to get your phones out right now. Need to mark your calendar for a year from now. Need to Stop dating. Just take a year off. Just take a year off from dating so that you can renew your mind about the opposite sex. Mark your calendar and say, I'm going to start dating here. i taking a year. I said only one guy did it. A friend of mine came to me and he said, I did it too. I took a year off. He said, and that is the only reason that I had become the man that my now fiance would actually look at. It's like, you go boy. You do that. Some of us have been indoctrinated and we need to renew our minds. In your year off, Practice honoring all people without the possibility of anything in return. It's so countercultural to not date, but I'm telling you, it will help you become the man that the woman you're looking for is looking for. You'll be head and shoulders above the rest. Guys, I'm telling you, this is the best way to marry out of your league. Thank You can thank me when I officiate your wedding by giving me my check That's how you can thank me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we live in a society, in a culture, that across the board, um, the way that women view and treat men, the way that men view and treat women, it's messed up. And we want to be women and men who rise above that, marked by character and honor and respect. God, would you show us how to do that? Would you give us the courage to push against a tide that is moving in a direction that has never in the history of the world been good for human flourishing? Would you give us compassion for ourselves and each other when we mess up? Would you give us the trust in you that there's a better way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, you don't want to miss out. The title of the message is Designer Sex. Designer Sex. Because we have a designer. He created sex. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. Have a great week. See you next time.